And now our second lesson from Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning with the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I hope that you can join me in looking back and remembering um, how you were blessed by so many people throughout your life growing up. Um, I think back to one of my teachers who blessed me in ways that I'm still appreciating now in this season of my life. She was a wise woman. She was a gifted educator. And she knew back then that the boys in our class would rather be uh, outside playing football, hide-and-seek, or uh, cowboys and Indians than sitting in the classroom. So when it came time for us to read books and prepare reports to be presented in front of our classmates, uh, this wise woman selected several titles that she knew would appeal to us as boys. She had one list for girls and one list for all the boys. And back then, it was different. She didn't have to worry about accusations of gender bias or sexism. As I recall, the girls were allowed to make selections from a list that included Pippi Longstocking, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Any of you ladies remember Nancy Drew? And the boys were allowed to select from titles that included The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Call of the Wild, and how many of you remember The Hardy Boys? I chose a book about Jesse James. And I read every word about the outlaw Jesse James and his gang. I learned about their trek from Missouri to Minnesota when they robbed the First National Bank and how the townspeople, the ordinary folk of Northfield, took to the streets to stop them. It amazed me when I read about ordinary people taking a stand in the face of evil against the bad guys. And it was in this book that I first encountered the phrase, wanted, dead or alive. 
I learned in my boyhood that there was even a reward of $5,000 to anyone who would bring in the bad guys dead or alive. And back then, you know, 5,000 bucks to me might well have been a million. But today I learned that's the equivalent of $130,000. Even so, even so, the law enforcement officials and the government officials knew that if a reward like that was offered, some people might be motivated to overcome their misgivings, to rise up against their fears, and actually try and bring in the bad guys. So the government was willing to pay a price, if you will, in order to apprehend the criminals. Didn't matter if they were dead or alive, just get them. And perhaps you know, perhaps you don't, that many, many years before the outlaw Jesse James, there was an outlaw in Germany by the name of Martin Luther. And long before the Wild West, this German priest was condemned as a heretic because he dared to preach the word of God. In 1521, Luther was declared, yes, he was an outlaw, a criminal. His literature was banned. His immediate arrest was required of anyone who saw him. It was a crime in Germany to render aid to Luther, no food, no shelter, no assistance. And everyone was permitted to kill Luther on sight without any legal consequence. If today's reading from Romans was expressed in poster form, like the ones from the Old West, then your face would appear on the poster. And it would read something like this. A wanted, dead, no reward, uh, issued by the evil one. Wanted alive with a reward of eternal life, a reward to be paid in full by Jesus Christ. Friends, your Father in heaven wants you alive, alive now, alive, alive eternally. Uh, he paid the price for you to have this life. It was paid by Jesus on the cross, not with silver or gold, not with a cashier's check, a public bond, but with his innocent suffering and his precious blood. You have been purchased. You have been bought with a price. And there is a reward in all this. But it's not for the person who brings you in. The reward is for you. It's eternity with God. Though you certainly didn't earn it, and neither did I. This reward is God's gift to you for simply turning to Him in the knowledge that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And we know we need the grace that only Jesus delivers. And God sent his son to die so that we could live forever. And he did all of this out of perfect, unconditional love and grace. But this amazing, life-changing, all-powerful gift of grace has been so misinterpreted and misunderstood through the years. I know that it's often misunderstood today. I'll tell you about that in a moment. It was misunderstood nearly 2,000 years ago. And Paul had to write what he wrote to the Romans because of this uh, false understanding. Some of those Romans thought that by continuing to sin, by choosing to go against God's word, they were actually somehow 
demonstrating the power of God's merciful love. Paul reminded them that deliberately choosing to sin does no such thing. An act of deliberate disobedience does not make grace abound. It really proves that you don't understand what grace is about at all. I've told you before, I'll say it again, in my personal opinion, uh, Dallas Willard, now deceased, was one of the wisest Christians to serve God in recent years. He would never say that about himself because he walked humbly with the Lord, but I had the honor of studying with him. And it was Dallas who coined the phrase, you've heard me say before, grace is absolutely opposed to earning, but that same grace is never opposed to effort. There's a difference, you see. The Roman Christians rightly understood that they could not earn God's grace, but they wrongly presumed that grace did not involve any effort on their part in seeking to glorify God in their daily life. So much has changed since Roman times, yes? But some things have not. I can tell you because of my conversations with people through the years that some people these days wrongly think of grace as some sort of car wash for people, if you will. Just think of um, Mr. Car Wash, your favorite location. Only think of it as a car wash for people. Some people think, yeah, grace is a car wash for human beings. It's free, you don't have to pay. Just pull in on Sunday morning or once a month if that's all the time you've got to spare. And you can get the deluxe job inside and out with free fragrance just so you can go back out the next week and get as dirty and foul as you like. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, let me tell you about a conversation I had not too long ago, not with a bad person, a very nice person, a very intelligent person, a man, I, I think in about his 40s, who wanted to express to me his joy in finding the Lutheran church. And he said, I just love Lutheranism. I was raised Baptist, and I never heard anything about grace when I went to church with my parents. It was all about the do's and the don'ts, but the Lutheran church is better. No one tells me what I should or shouldn't do. There aren't any rules. I can do as I please. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, because it's all about grace. Hmm. First of all, don't you dare challenge me after the service thinking I'm picking on Baptists. Because I know that the grace of God is preached powerfully and truthfully in many Baptist pulpits. And secondly, I wonder how did the message of grace, costly grace, ever get so twisted, so distorted, that this man and so many like him could think of it this way? I don't know if I'll ever know the answer, but it probably has something to do with what was going on when Paul had to sit down and write his brothers and sisters in the Roman church, reminding them grace is unearned. It's a free gift in Jesus. But having reminded them of the free gift, Paul had to remind them that God has saved us by grace for a reason. Not that we can go on sinning, but that we can start living. Really living. Really living. 
living abundantly for him and with him. This kind of living is not done in fear or dread of punishment. This kind of joyful living is done out of love, the love we know God has for us and the love we have for the Lord. Back in those days when I was a boy and had those reading assignments and book reports, when I learned about Jesse James, I knew he was a bad outlaw, but I knew that in my own small way, in my home, sometimes I was a little bit of a rascal, an outlaw. I knew that if I did wrong, I'd be punished by my parents, by my teachers, by my coaches. I knew I'd pay the price if I did something wrong uh, and got caught. So as a boy, and I know I'm not alone, ladies and gentlemen, as a boy, my buddies and I would often do things wrong in the hope that we'd never get caught. But as I recall, we spent many days and nights worried sick that somebody was going to find out. And when they did, we knew that we would get what we deserved. And as I recall from my youth, sometimes it felt like we got more than we deserved. But over time, and I think this is God's grace unfolding in my life, and I hope maybe you've got a similar memory, I began to learn that doing the right thing is the right thing. That there was far more joy in doing right than living in fear of being caught and punished for doing wrong. And when I finally came to see that my parents really loved me, that my coaches and teachers actually wanted what was best for me, and I learned that it was a good thing to follow their counsel, man, it made life so much better. Now, I didn't decide one day that I was a wonderful young man deserving of all this love and attention. I finally realized that God had put good people in my life who honestly wanted good things for me. The call to follow Christ is the call to live joyfully in the knowledge of God's abundant grace. And it is a call to live obediently in the wisdom that comes in understanding how precious, how costly this grace is. You have no idea about every single thing that you're going to face this week. I know you've got planners. I know you've got appointments. I know you've got things you intend to do and things you must do. But if this week is like any other, you'll be faced with some choices that um, have yet to present themselves, with decisions later this month, with options later this summer. It will be this way for you and me until the day we die and are finally home with the Lord. In the meantime, your God, our God, cares very much about your choices, your decisions, the options you decide upon. And he cares because he loves you. 
Your Father in heaven does not want you to make your choices hoping against hope that you'll never get caught because he knows everything. Even if your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your friend, even if your pastor never finds out, God knows. And he does not want you to go on sinning in the false belief that somehow your disobedience proves your appreciation of abounding grace. Your father rejoices when you do your very best. Not out of fear of punishment, but out of faith and hope and love. There's one way in which the Lord wants you dead. He wants you dead, but only when it comes to the old sinful habits. And we demonstrate our understanding of grace by dying to sin each day and deliberately seeking to honor God in all of our choices, big and small. We know that um, we were lost. We were as good as dead. We were brought in by Jesus who paid the price. Jesse James, his brother Frank, were wanted men. The authorities wanted them dead or alive. Didn't matter if they were brought in with or without the breath of life. Will you begin this new week in the knowledge that you are wanted by God? God wants you. And God wants you very much alive. Your life, your future matter to God. So much so that he died in your place. That's what Jesus did. He wants you to live with him now and forever. The Lord wants you. And he wants you alive in Christ. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, give us the will to seek what is good, what is honorable and true. And we ask you to give us that will, not only when it's convenient, but in every circumstance and even the most difficult situations. Give us the courage not to simply seek these things, but then to do them no matter the cost. Your grace is all sufficient. So teach us in new ways to rely on your strength when we feel weak and to have faith in your mercy for we need it daily. And when life is difficult, help us to cast all our cares upon you knowing that you love us so much that you love us forever. All this we ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please turn again in the uh, back of those green hymnals. You may remain seated as we sing our next hymn, number 356.